0: Life is complex. Spiritual life is even more complex. Jesus utilizes a series of parables to teach a variety of truths regarding the kingdom of God. While the kingdom of God is not identical to the church, the church and the kingdom of God have much in common. And so for the purpose of this morning's message, I'm going to use the terms kingdom and church interchangeably, for the point of this morning's parable can be applied to both the kingdom of God and to the church. The parable of the sower, which we looked at last time, explained why some people initially respond positively to the word of God, and then eventually fall away from the faith. They all seem to have initially the same response, but over varied lengths of time, for a variety of reasons, eventually many fall away. And the answer as to why they do is because they are not true believers in Lord Jesus Christ. They're not truly converted. Those that are converted bear fruit. They bear it in varying degrees, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, but they bear fruit. This morning, Jesus then addresses another issue. Then why don't all non-believers eventually fall away? Why do some non-believers hang on and continue outwardly at least to associate themselves with the people of God? Why, if they are not truly born again, why don't they just disappear like the ones that we saw in last week's parable? So Jesus addresses the issue of why it is that some non-believers continue to associate themselves with the Lord Jesus. This morning we want to address the question... Why don't all believers eventually fall away? Why do some believers hang on, continue outwardly at least, to associate themselves with the people of God? And then what should we do about that? What should our response be to those individuals? To partly answer those questions and more, Jesus provides us with the parable of the weeds or the tares along with its interpretation. So this morning we want to ask and answer a number of questions that are addressed in this particular parable. The first is, what is the nature of God's kingdom? What is God's kingdom like? Matthew 13 24 He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom is like a field. The field is the world or the earth, according to verse 38. The field is the world, meaning the earth, this planet on which we live. And the earth represents the visible kingdom. It is the kingdom as we are presently able to view it with our eyes. It is a kingdom that is comprised of those who outwardly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew thirteen twenty four to 27. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? How is it that the visible kingdom has both believers and non-believers in it? First, there are non-believers that are a part of the field. That is the visible kingdom. In the text, they are weeds, verse 38. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The believers are also part of the visible kingdom, Matthew 13, 38. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are professors of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but are not truly sons, thus not, thus not part of the true kingdom or the invisible kingdom. Matthew 13, 38. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The true kingdom, or invisible kingdom, is comprised solely of the believers. Notice verse 38. Believers are the sons of the kingdom. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The non-believers are not sons of the kingdom, they are sons of the evil one. at the end of verse 38. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. They are part of the field, that is the visible kingdom, but not a part of the true kingdom, the invisible kingdom, the kingdom we can see with our eyes. So the first thing that we need to understand is the relationship of the visible kingdom to the invisible kingdom, or the visible church to the invisible church. The visible church is comprised of everyone that makes a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The visible church are the congregants, the people that you can see here this morning. That's why we call it the visible church. You can look around, and you can see who is here, And they are a part of the church. They are a part of the congregation. They have gathered together for worship. The invisible church are those people that are truly born again. We don't have the ability to look into a person's heart and to see who those people are. But the people that are a part of the true kingdom or the invisible kingdom or the true church or the invisible church are people that are born again and have a saving relationship to Jesus Christ, so there's a difference between the visible church, the professing group of people, and the true church, the people that are truly born again. So the question is then raised: why are there both believers and non-believers in the visible kingdom why? do both believers and non-believers gather together to worship Jesus? Jesus is placing his people, that is the believers, into the kingdom. Jesus is the son of man in this parable. Matthew 13, 37. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So Jesus is about converting people, regenerating people, having them to become born again, And they become members of the true kingdom, the invisible kingdom, the true church, the invisible church. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, verse 38. The evil one is placing non-believers into the visible kingdom. That is, mere professors of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but are not truly born again. The enemy of the kingdom is the evil one, verse 25. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Satan infiltrates the visible kingdom and places non believers in it. The evil one does this without the knowledge of the kingdom workers. The enemy does this while the workers are sleeping, verse 25. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds. Now when it says they were sleeping, that doesn't mean that they were negligent. It simply means that they were unaware of Satan's activity. Unaware of his coming, verse 25. His enemy came and sowed seeds. And unaware of the evil ones leaving. The end of verse 25, and went away. So, we are not cognizant of Satan's activity, but it is real. He is placing non-believers into the visible kingdom, into the visible church. However, it eventually becomes clear to the workers that there are both weeds and wheat in the field. That is the kingdom. As time goes on, as the wheat and weeds grow, it becomes apparent that there are some weeds among the. The wheat. Notice verse 26. So when the plants come up and bore grain, then weeds appeared also. As these plants are growing, initially they look alike. I am told that there is a weed in the Mideast that looks just like wheat as it is growing up. It's very hard to distinguish the the weed from the true wheat. But of course, when it's fully grown, the wheat has a head on it that's filled with grain. The weed does not. It is that which makes it apparent that there are both weeds and wheat in this same field. Notice verse 26. So when the plants come up and bore rain, then the weeds appeared also. Then it was known, okay, there's, there's weeds here, and there are wheat here, both in the same field, both in the same visible kingdom. The point is, first of all, that the distinguishing characteristic between the weeds and the wheat are the fruit bearing same as in the parable of the sower and the seeds. The true believer bears fruit. The one that's not a believer does not bear fruit. But this parable addresses a different question. First, it asks the question, what should Jesus' servants do since there are both believers and non-believers in the visible kingdom or the visible church? Should we seek to remove those who are not true believers? Should we try to weed the field out, as it were? Notice verse 28. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Do you want us to go into your field and remove all of the tares or weeds from your field? He said, no, verse 29. No, don't do that. Why shouldn't we try to remove the non-believers from the visible kingdom? Notice verse 29. No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. There is a process of growth. And as they are growing, they look very much alike. And the point is that if you're going to go in there and start weeding out this, this field, you are very likely to pick out some wheat that hasn't yet fully matured. You can't see the fruit yet. You can't see the head of grain yet, but they indeed are wheat and not weeds. The point is that we cannot, with any accuracy, make a determination as to who is in the kingdom and out of the kingdom. Let me say this. We can, with greater accuracy and greater assurance say definitively who is in the kingdom. If a person is bearing much fruit, that is a sure sign that they are a part of the kingdom. The difficulty comes when there are people that are among us that don't seem to be bearing much fruit. Are they a part of the kingdom or are they not? A part of the kingdom. And the answer is, you and I don't know. We don't know if they are a part of the kingdom or not. And we don't need to know whether or not they are a part of the kingdom. So what should we do then? Verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. Let them continue to worship. Let them continue to come. Let them continue to be involved. The workers should wait for the harvest. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. So what will happen then? Will the weeds ever be removed? The answer is yes. When will they be removed? At the time of the harvest, which is the end of the age. Notice verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. Verse 39. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. So there's going to be a time of reaping. A time of gathering the grain together. A time of harvesting the grain. And at that time, the weeds are going to be removed. Who will remove them? answer is Jesus at the instrumentality of his angels. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. What will happen to the weeds or non-believers when they are removed? Verse 42, Then throw them into the fiery furnace. What do you do with weeds? Gather them together, put them in a pile, you burn them. And Jesus says that those individuals that are weeds, those individuals that aren't true wheat, are going to be gathered together, and they're going to be cast into a fiery furnace. And it's speaking of hell. That they are going to be separated out. And they won't enjoy the benefits of those that belong to the true kingdom. What will the kingdom look like then? Notice verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Jesus said earlier that the Seeds are those that belong to the kingdom. They are sons of the kingdom. It says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then this admonition, he who has ears, let him hear. That's the story of the parable of the weeds. But now I'd like to take A few moments and say, what's the application? What are we to learn from this parable? The first application is that we are to be concerned as to whether or not we are a part of the true kingdom. Just because we are here this morning doesn't mean we're saved. Just because we were carried here from the time that we were in the nursery and have been here all of our life and die in the church doesn't necessarily mean that we are saved. We are to examine ourselves. It's important that we be not just in the visible kingdom but that we be in the invisible kingdom, the true church, truly born again. Lesson number two, you can fool others, but you can't fool God. You can deceive other people into thinking that you are a part of the kingdom, but God knows who really is a part of the kingdom and who isn't. You can fool others, you can't fool God. Only two people really know whether or not you are a part of the kingdom. That is you and God. It's extremely important that you don't play games with this. I remember I was approximately five years old when I accepted the Lord as my Savior But there's a a little story to it. And that is that my mother would bring me up and uh, she would read Bible stories to me every night. And at the end of the Bible story, she would tell me how I needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. She would tell me that I was a sinner and she'd point out the things that I did wrong so that I would know that I was a sinner and tell me I needed to be forgiven. One night... As usual, she said to me, do you want to accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior? I said yes. Not because I wanted to accept the Lord as my Savior, because I wanted my mother off my back at the age of five. And she said, all right, let's pray together. I said, no, I want to pray by myself. I bowed my head, did nothing, closed my eyes, raised my head, and she said, oh, that's wonderful. You are a Christian Go tell your father that you accepted the Lord. I went and said to my dad, I accepted the Lord. Go tell your sister, you accept the Lord. I went and told my sister, I accepted the Lord. Go tell your brother, you accept the Lord. I went and told my brother, I accepted the Lord. All the time knowing I hadn't accepted the Lord. Everything was peaceful, calm, nice. Everybody's happy because I'm a Christian. But I really wasn't a Christian. Few nights later, we continued on with the Bible stories, and then came the story of Ananias and Sapphira. If you know that story, it's the story of a husband and wife who lied to the Holy Spirit about their commitment to Jesus Christ. And I heard that story. And at the end of that story, if you know it, they fall down dead. God judges them for their having lied about their commitment to Jesus Christ. I remember laying there in my bed, five years old, thinking I'm going to die tonight because I lied about my commitment to Jesus Christ. Really. Laying there, looking up at the, the ceiling. I lived on a farm. There was a farm light outside my, my window, and there was a, a big tree, and the arms of the tree were on my ceiling. I lay there, and they looked like they were just coming down to grab me. I thought that I was going to be carried away and I was, going to, I was going to die. And I made it through the night. Next morning, and then I dreaded going to sleep again because I had to lay there thinking tonight's the night I'm going to die. And then it was the third night. And then that third night, as I laid there, shaking in my bed, I said, what I need is forgiveness. And I got up and I crawled out of my bed and I knelt by it and I asked Jesus to forgive me for lying. And asked him to be my savior. And he forgave me of my sins. I had the privilege later on in my life to work at Victory Valley. And one of the things I did when I worked at Victory Valley is I would give my testimony and they're usually uh, at the campfires about, at that time, 70 to 100 kids, I guess. And uh, once a week I'd give my testimony at the campfire. There was never a campfire that some child didn't come up to me and say, My parents think I'm a Christian, and well, I'm not. It's not that uncommon. Nobody knows, but you know, and God knows. And eventually, those that aren't believers are going to get weeded out. So it's so important that you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and are part of the true kingdom. Why also do we need to know this? Because of that last statement, which is a rather striking one, notice Matthew 13, 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. Which is your Heavenly Father. Weeds are not pretty things, and they don't allow the grain to flourish as it should. The world the non-believing world certainly does not make any distinction between believing churches and liberal churches churches are churches christians are christians they don't worry about doctrine they don't worry about salvation issues they don't worry about all they know is this person goes to a church And as a result, because there are so many churches that are weed-filled and not wheat-filled, it makes all churches look bad. But even more than that, even more than that, the non-believers that associate themselves With the church and live ungodly lives, discredit the church. They make the church look awful. As in our text, it doesn't shine very brightly or very brilliantly. It's a shame. When I was in college, I had a part-time job working at Hughes and Hafner in the Berkshire Mall. It was a clothing store. And I I worked there for about four summers and worked there during uh, school years when I was at Kutztown uh, University. Well, I was very vocal about my faith and about my desire to be a pastor I had a lot of opportunity to witness when I was at Hughes and Hafner. And uh, I led one of my co-workers to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. At least he made a profession of faith. And one day we were standing around and there was a a fellow there. He was an older gentleman that was really foul-mouthed. He had... He used to just tell a lot of dirty jokes. He would take the Lord's name in vain. He was very rude, very crude, and dishonest. And everybody knew it. We were standing around one day, and one of the co-workers said to me, what church do you go to? I said, I go to the Bible Fellowship Church in Blandon. This guy, who's the worst of the worst, looked at me and said, oh, you do? He said, I used to go to the Bible Fellowship Church in Reading. I looked at him and said, no, you didn't. And he said, yes, I did. I said, no, you, you went to another church, but it wasn't a Bible Fellowship Church. He said, yeah, it was. I said, well, where was it? He said, on Hampton Boulevard. That's where the Biot Church is, on Hampton Boulevard. And so we started talking, and it turned out that he went to that church for 15 years. And then all these people standing around says, Oh, you mean he goes to the same church you do? I can't tell you how awful I felt at that moment when now I am in the same category as this guy. Because he goes to the same church I go to. But we need to understand the weeds. We need to understand the difficulty. We need to understand why the world looks at the church and sees such hypocrisy. Beyond our own inconsistency, which there certainly is that, But beyond our own inconsistency, there is the reality that there are many people that associate themselves with the church that aren't really born again. And as such, the light doesn't shine the way that it should. It spoils the beauty of the church, as it were, it makes it look messy. It is quite dishonorable. It's also important for us to understand because it makes our experience in the life of the church dissatisfying. We become disillusioned with certain people's behaviors, their conduct. We don't expect certain things from Certain people. Not knowing whether or not they're really born again or not. You know, it, it's wonderful to be in Christian circles. It's nice to be at Pinebrook. Go up there in the summer. You, you let your kids run free. I remember uh, visiting my uh, daughter at uh, what was then uh, Philadelphia uh, PBU, Philadelphia Biblical University, now Karen University. And I went to see her, and they were having lunch. And everybody had all their stuff piled in the hallway, all their laptops and everything. And they're in another room, and all this stuff is just sitting around there in, uh, just outside of Philadelphia. Nobody's taking anything. That's great. That's what it ought to be like. But you know, someday, somebody's going to walk in there and take one of those computers. And then everybody's going to be disillusioned. Because not even at a Bible college is everyone born again. You won't find a situation on the face of this earth in which the kingdom or the church is 100% pure because the evil one won't allow it. He doesn't want that. He's an enemy of the church. And the greatest strategy he has is transforming as an angel of light. The greatest strategy he has is sowing non-believers right next to the believers. So don't get disillusioned. Don't get disheartened. Don't get frustrated. And don't weed them out. Back to my situation at Hughes and Hafner. Here's this guy. Said he went to the church for 15 years. You have to realize I wasn't as mature then as I am now. But I talked to him, I said, well, why'd you leave the church? What happened? And I talked to him like he needed to be born again because I, I still think to this day that the guy wasn't saved. But I don't know. I don't know. But more importantly, I don't need to know. It isn't my call. And it isn't your call. What we are to do is just understand. Be wise and know that within the visible church there are believers and non-believers. What you need to know this morning are two things. First, where are you? Are you a true believer or are you not? Does everybody think you're saved, but you're really not saved? And then secondly, understand Understand how the evil one works. And be on guard. Be alert. And do not get disillusioned because the church is not what you would like it to be. The church in this age will never be the glorious church that it will be when Jesus Christ returns. He will set all things right. He will make this a beautiful church a glorious church, it will shine brightly and it will be the most blessed experience that you will ever have, but we'll never experience it in this life. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we gather together today and first of all, I pray for any who are here this morning. Maybe there is a child here or an adult who professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they know deep inside that that profession wasn't genuine. They know that they've been playing a trick on others. May they be assured that you know. And so, Lord, I I just pray for anyone here this morning. Is there anyone here that knows that you need to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And you want to do that this morning. Would you just quickly raise your hand so that I can see that, that you want to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then, Lord, we pray for our understanding. Help us not to get frustrated by the church not being what it ought to be. Help us to understand the difference between the visible church and the invisible church. And Lord, give us the restraint. May we not seek to weed people out, but rather, Lord, may we seek to reach people for the kingdom. May we understand it it complicates things because there are so many that name the name of Christ who don't live at all the way they should, and no wonder the world hates it and sees a bunch of hypocrisy. Let us understand the ways of the evil one and bring you glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.